following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw, for our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. So um, the title given the talk this morning is Why Evil and Suffering? And I suppose you can ask that in two ways. There's why evil and suffering. There's the sort of intellectual, hmm, why would God allow that? That's probably not how most of us ask that question. That's the sort of why question mark. Really, it's the why do you allow this to happen, God? Why? The existential, experiential problem of evil and suffering in this world is absolutely undeniable. You know, we're supposedly so advanced, and yet in the last hundred years, you could say even in suffering has just grown and grown. The 20th century, you know, the body count of human pride, seeking power, and evil uh, is over 100 million. Uh, the appalling events of the Second World War, this, this horrible picture, disturbing picture. Um, when people who a certain group could determine as non-human, you can then kill them, be it, in this case, Jews, gypsies, homosexuals, communists. Hitler would just wipe you out. But that's just repeated throughout human history. If we can make people non-human, if we can label them other than, we can kill them. And then you've got events like tsunamis, um, I don't know about you, I remember watching live on the news the events of the Japanese tsunami, which this picture is of, which was, you know, the only word you could use was apocalyptic. You know, 18,000 people died in that terrible, terrible event. And there's wars and suffering, and it just goes on. And it's the little children who suffer, Syria, Iraq, and countless other wars, often which barely credit a mention in our media against more important issues like the Kardashians or something like that. Yeah. I was joking there. <laughs> <laughs> and it was sickness, you know, cancer. You know, Stephen Fry was asked if he, you know, if he was a well-known atheist, a comedian, British comedian, if he stood before God, what would he say to God? And he, he said, bone cancer in children. What about that? And an earlier uh, atheist in the 20th century, Bertrand Russell, he was a philosopher, an atheistic philosopher, what's called a logical positivist. Um, he, he's famous for this statement. No one can sit at the bedside of a dying child and still believe in God. I think that statement pulls out both aspects of this question, the why exclamation mark and the why question mark. You know, it's a powerful, emotive question. Some in this room, and I don't mean to stir up or, or be insensitive, but some of you will have experienced things which make you question God. And that's, that's that experiential, emotional aspect. But it also, as a philosopher, Bertrand Russell is bringing out here that intellectual question. You know, this proves God doesn't exist. 
The very existence of evil proves God doesn't exist. That's the claim. That's the statement. But he mixes it up powerfully with the emotional aspect. I'm not going to primarily talk about the experiential emotional aspect. Uh, but you know, what I'm going to go through is why the intellectual argument is completely wrong and flawed. But, you know, sort of warning here, when you encounter someone, or maybe someone here in the midst of suffering, do not go up to them and say, Mark Powell said there's three good reasons why God's allowing this to happen. <laughs> Please. They don't want to hear those good reasons then. That's, that's not the time. They just want an arm around them, a kind word, a cup of tea, a ready meal for the freezer. They want care and love. But, and this is why I think a message like this is important in this type of context, knowing why, the why question mark, prepares you for the why exclamation mark. Because you're at your most vulnerable then to the whisperings of the enemy, to the whisperings of Satan. Why would God allow this? Surely God cannot exist. So good preparation for the storms of life, and they do come to all of us, is important. So hopefully what I'm going to talk about is good preparation on the why question mark. Why does God allow evil? The, the logical evidential problem, as it's called in philosophical circles, is pretty straightforward. This is really what Bertrand Russell is, is claiming. If an all-good, all-powerful, all-knowing God exists, there would be no evil and suffering. There is evil and suffering. That's uncontestable. So therefore, God does not exist. It's powerful. And if you're confronted with that out of the blue, it can rock you. And then if that's combined with real issues in life, Death, pain, suffering. It can take people away from their faith. But before we dive into this, I think in all questions that are quite confronting and get you, we shouldn't, we shouldn't just run down the rabbit hole and start dealing with the question. The important thing in all things is to remember all the other reasons that you have to believe what you believe. And all the reasons from science, from history, from personal experience, from the direct intuitions of being human, which are all powerful reasons that point to God. You know, science, the, the start and cause of the universe, matter and energy, space and time started. Time started. It's amazing. So the only thing that could cause that is immaterial, non-physical Something with a personal choice and all-powerful. Oh, that sounds a lot like God. The incredible fine-tuning of this universe that science evidences. It's just right. The information content of DNA, the only source we know of specified complex information, is a mind, a designing mind. The incredible, irreducible complexity of organic systems, where they just couldn't have come about by gradual processes only. 
All that evidence from science and all the evidence from history that point to the reality of the truth of Scripture, that point to who Jesus was and points to the truth of the resurrection. All those science historical reasons and then the most powerful reasons, I think. Your experience of being human, of love, of goodness, of beauty. You know, for me, I could sit here and give a talk on the philosophical arguments for why there's a soul. There's a powerful philosophical argument. It's called the mind-body problem in philosophy. Or I could tell you a story about how I was crushed in a mining accident underground and I had an out-of-body experience as I was being crushed where I was floating above myself as my lungs were punctured. And I thought, oh, I'm going to die now. Powerful personal experience of a soul that points to a soul. Or a direct encounter with the living spirit of God. All these are powerful reasons that when we're down that rabbit hole of a difficult issue, and there's no more difficult issue than the reality of pain and suffering, We shouldn't forget all those other things. So what about the issue presented though? Well, firstly, this argument falls apart if you can show that the first premise is flawed. First premise, if an all-good, all-powerful, all-known God exists, there would be no evil and suffering. It contains a conclusion. Is that conclusion correct? This whole argument falls apart even if there was just one possible reason why God may allow evil and suffering. That would destroy, it is a logical argument for those trained in logic. But on an evidential level, I think there are very good reasons. Very good reasons. Greater good reasons why God has allowed evil and suffering in this world. I'm going to go through those step by step. And hopefully um, help build you up in your understanding of that. So that when you hit those storms, you will be better prepared. This is a cum- what's called a cumulative case argument in, 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 uh, in apologetics. You know, often people can be put off by these terms. Basically, it's just like being on a jury in a court of law. You take all the evidences. It's a cumulative case. And you say, is this a good explanation? Is this a powerful explanation? And over the last 2,000 years, Christians have wrestled with this issue. There are really no new objections. And this has been one of the most powerful objections over the 2,000 years. And there's three reasons, I think, why God would allow evil and suffering in this world. I'm going to go through each of them. I'm fairly straightforward. I'm going to leave them sitting up there so you can, you know, mull on them as I'm talking. There's what's called free will, the free will argument. There's soul building, and there's eternal blessing. That's the sort of, in, in, in philosophical ter- circles, those, the, the, one's called the free will argument, one's called the soul building argument, one's called the eternal blessing argument. They're pretty straightforward. The first reason is the most powerful. God wants you to freely love him. God wants you 
to freely choose to love him. God is not a rapist. Confronting words. God isn't going to force himself on you. God has given you choice. Now, in giving choice, God has permitted the ability for you to misuse that. It can be no other way. So in allowing human free will, God has allowed the possibility that we may misuse that. And as Christians, we know that. We know that from the evidence of Scripture, Genesis 3, Adam and Eve, the fall. And that's continued ever since. We are fallen. We have an amazing ability to rationalize our fallenness. We're not as bad as the other person. But we are turned away from God. Our hearts are curved away, someone once said. And we rationalize that. We say, oh, we're not that bad. But it's ordinary people who've done the worst things in history. We like to demonize the likes of Hitler, the likes of Stalin. But they weren't the people doing the work. <laughs> it was ordinary people. There's a book called Ordinary Men. It's, it was a secular book written in about 1962. And it's based on the interviews with, with about 150, 200 people who'd been members of a police battalion in the German army in the Second World War. It was a battalion of 600 men recruited in Hamburg. Hamburg was the least Nazified city in Germany. Least Nazi. So these weren't radical Aryan Nazis, the super race. They were just normal German people. They weren't good enough even to get in the army, so they put them in a police battalion, conscripted into it. Uh, a city, Hamburg, that was, as I said, least Nazified, was very communist, actually. Um, and these 600 men, largely young boys or middle-aged guys with flat feet who couldn't serve in the army and whatever, asthma, were sent off to Poland. And those 600 men killed 50,000 Jews. And the interviews are really a record of how it happened. How these ordinary men, it's called ordinary men for a reason, were corrupted, and how they rationalized it. Not a single person refused to do it on moral grounds, to shoot individual innocent children, women, men. Not a single one refused on moral grounds. Some of them got out of it by pretending they were too weak. They weren't man enough to do the job. But no one refused. Ordinary men. We have a tendency, and it's not popular to talk about this anymore, away from God, to misuse our free will. But God wants us to use our free will to come to him. And is prepared to take that risk. That accounts for most of the evil in the world. And in the fall, and it's clear in Romans there, it wasn't just humanity that was corrupted. It was the whole of creation 
And the whole of creation groans. And so natural evil as well, tsunamis, etc., are part of this. This world is not as it should be. And we know that deeply in ourselves. There is something wrong with this world. And something wrong in the human heart. God has taken that risk. Because he loves us and he doesn't want robots. He doesn't want forcefully given love. Which isn't love at all. He wants true, freely given love. That's the most powerful reason why God loves evil. The second reason is that we grow. Our souls are built. In the midst of evil and suffering, we grow in character and virtue. Without poverty, you wouldn't need charity. Without fear, you wouldn't need courage. We grow. Without things to overcome, you wouldn't need perseverance. You wouldn't need patience. We, in this world, there is a formation going on of our very soul. It's undoubted and it's scriptural. And the third, third reason then is the perspective that comes from that. Where we get so obsessed with this life with this moment that we forget the eternal dimension. This life is a mere millisecond in eternity. We will look back and I think laugh (laughs) at our troubles now. That's not a a pie-in-the-sky, ignore-the-reality-of-the-world perspective. It's just looking at the truth. If we really believe what we say we believe as followers of Jesus Christ, that's the truth. Back about 18 months ago, um, I was uh, at home, uh, went to the bathroom, and there was some blood in my urine. And I said to my wife, Maria, oh, I got some blood in my urine. And she said, oh, don't worry about that. That happens to women all the time. It's called cystitis. I said, really? Uh, so I thought, oh, that's right. So I peed into a little cup and I said, yeah, not that. And she said, oh, no, not that. It was just pure blood almost in my urine. And that week was like a blur. I, I, I rushed, we rushed off the doctor. They sent you for the scans. And the doc, I love the, vo- the line the doctor said to me, what's Dr. Google told you? <laughs> Which we all do now. So it's pretty clear on what it may or may not be. Um, and by the Friday, and this all happened within a week, by the Friday, um, it was confirmed that I had a, a cancerous tumor on my kidney. About six centimeters long. Um, and so they, they said, well, we, we've got to do another scan now because the, the big deal here isn't the, the tumor on the kidney. That's, that could be bad, but we'll whip your kidney out. Luckily, lucky you got two. Um, uh, the, the real issue is whether that spreads to your lung or to your brain, because that's what tends to happen. It metastasizes and goes to your lung or your brain. And it's about six centimeters, seven centimeters when that typically happens. So it was right on the cusp 
uh, for that. So I had the scan on the Friday. I wouldn't have the results till the Monday. And so Friday evening, I said to Maria, well, let's not tell the girls, my daughter's are adult daughters. I said, you know, if, it's, if it hasn't spread, it's not a big deal. It just whip your kidney out. Uh, but if it has spread, well, obviously we need to tell them and we don't want to worry them without giving the context. So we didn't tell them. But the whole weekend was weird. It was, I mean, both of us were quite elated. You never know how you're going to react. Now, don't say this with any pride, because I was, I was surprised by my reaction. I don't think Maria's reaction was just because of the will. <laughs> we... That's terrible, isn't it? Sorry, she's not here this morning. <laughs> it, it was, it, I was saying to Maria, I'm going to possibly be seeing Jesus soon. Yeah. It's this odd feeling. In some ways, it's exciting. Yeah. I, I'm really, seriously, I'm not saying this with any pride at all. I was completely taken aback. Both of us were about how we were that weekend. Because if we really believe what we believe, there is an eternity in the presence of God. It puts perspective on this, on everything. I've got to remember, because I've, 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 whenever I've done this talk in the past, I always forget to say what actually happened. It, it was clear. It, was, it hadn't spread, and they took my kidney out, and all good since then, 18 months ago. I'll have another scan in about six months' time. But I, a couple of times I've forgotten to say that. <laughs> so th- there's three good reasons there why a good, all-powerful, all-knowing God would allow evil and suffering. Not exhaustive, you can add things. I think they're powerful reasons. You could also ask, say that Satan's not the only game in town. And I think we need humility. We're not God. That doesn't descend into, oh, it's all a mystery. I don't like those sort of answers. We can know a lot, but we can't know everything. We'll find out, I'm sure, far more, way beyond our understanding when we stand before the risen Christ. But there's good reasons why a good God would allow evil and suffering. But back to our friend Bertrand Russell. If he was here now, I think my, and the question I'd ask him is what would he say to that dying child? In his worldview, all he's got to say is you're just matter and energy, atoms bumping into each other. You haven't got a soul. That's just a delusion. There is no real meaning to life. There is no real purpose. There is no good and evil, really. Tough luck, you're going to die. And by the way, you'll just become atoms again. Now, he wouldn't say that. Of course he wouldn't. But his worldview, that's all it's got to say. That's all it's got to say. Whereas we've got so much to say to that dying child. So much to say to that dying child. Our God did not leave us alone in this world. Our God 
came into this world. Our God came into this world to save us. Every other religion in the world, every other worldview, not just religion, is based on the premise that we can do it. Is based on the prideful position that we've got the solution. We can build the stairway to heaven. Either through learning certain things, certain knowledge, behaving in certain ways, religious legalism, and even communism. We can create utopia on this earth. That that turned out well, didn't it? Christianity is radically different. We're not building the stairway to heaven. God came down the stairway. God came down to us. God suffered for us so that we can be with God in eternity where there will be no pain or suffering. Revelation 21. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. We will be in eternity with God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. The reason, all those three reasons, I think, point to love. God has given us free will so that we can freely love God. God allows us to exist in this world so we can freely learn to love others in the midst of suffering. True love. Self-giving love. And God loves us so much that he came into this world and died and suffered for us so that we can turn to him and be in eternity with him. Let's pray. Lord, there's so much we can't know. But you have revealed sufficient for those who seek you to know. For those whose eyes are open and ears are open. There is more than enough. As we move into communion now, we remember what you have done for us so that there will be no more tears, no more suffering, just eternity with you. I pray that everyone here, that those truths will go deep into their heart. They won't stay as an intellectual idea will go deep into their heart, preparing them for the inevitable
storms of life. Pray that they know that you are with them now and in eternity. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.